Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello America! Are you ready to go down the rabbit hole with us? We welcome learners and musical lovers across existence. Free! Free your mind and you'll see. We've come so far. We'll go on, just believe. On classic films and on the stage. We're talking about musicals. Build a story, our social play. We're talking about history. Every time we dig right in, we educate through musicals. Clever things to make you grin. Our podcast all about musicals. Subscribe right now. Slow with us, avoid the spin. Our story guide with musicals. Examine pain. And minstrel skin. It's really weird. Outdated themes in musicals. Drew, Chris, and Kevin as we go. Go, go, go. Down rabbit holes with musicals. Podcast. Down rabbit holes with musicals. Podcast. Down rabbit holes with musicals. Podcast. Welcome. Welcome. I hope you enjoyed that song. I hope you enjoyed our, our most positive tribute to Neil Diamond. So this is our rabbit hole historical examination. Today we are talking about the jazz singer and the minstrel show. And the the backstory of how the jazz singer got to be and where it went from the beginning. So really we're talking about the beginning of sound in America cinema. Jazz singer is around that time, but we're going to talk a little bit about technology and a lot of the other things too. Uses... The Minstrel Show, which is uh, super controversial. And by the way, thank you if you've listened to last podcast. This one is going to be a lot more explicit than theater masks. We apologize. Uh, when you hear the film Jazz Singer, you might think, oh, that must be uh, Megyn Kelly's favorite film. The Minstrel Show is, you know, uh, with its dark, oppressive beginning, uh, it is America's first theatrical art form, to be honest, paired with America's first musical genre, jazz. The Minstrel Show was the only way jazz music could make it out to white audiences, as they say. Get ready. We're offering a copious amount of cringe-filled treat for you today by talking about the jazz singer. So we watched both the 1927 Al Jolson, and we also watched the 1980 gem of The Jazz Singer with Neil Diamond. I honestly never knew this film existed. 
a lot of the music there everyone pretty much knows. I remember being at Camp Tamarack so many years ago, a little Jewish camp in Michigan, and hearing America constantly as a child. It's all in America. You know, <laughs> at the heart, it's it's story of, you know, it's like Emma Lazarus's, you know, and the Statue of Liberty, you know, give us your poor, your huddled masses, they're coming to America. The shining city on a hill. You know, it's the story of the Jewish diaspora moving to America to be more accepted and blend in with American part of the melting pot. Why didn't he make the movie about that? That would have been that would have been much better. Maybe, maybe that was going to be in You Don't Bring Me Flowers Anymore. With with Barbara Streisand, that would have been a much better choice uh, for him, I think, than making the jazz singer. Uh, personally, I I feel like there are people that disagree. Um, I didn't know that. I'm a believer was written by Neil Diamond. Let's take you back in time. That's a great idea. Like, uh, um, so are we talking about 1927? Um, before then, ooh, say the the beginning of the jazz singer. So back in 1917, Samson Raphaelson saw a production of Robinson Crusoe Jr. about Hiram Westbury. A millionaire is exhausted by some filmmakers who want to use his estate as a film location, so he falls asleep, and in his dream, he is Robinson Crusoe Jr. So it's like some sort of, like, Rip Van Crusoe mixture? He saw Al Jolson pour his heart out into this role, and he was in blackface in this. What started this process is the fact that he had never seen, Samson had never seen... A blackface uh, show? He had never seen a performer pour his heart out into singing as much as Al Jolson did in that performance, except for when he was in synagogue and the cantor was singing. And that's an interesting story. Um, that he's sort of like this, like had this like God moment. Yes. And he's like, well, Al Jolson is amazing. And I get it. Like, I feel like that actually happens with Neil Diamond as well. Yeah, Come to Moses moment, you know. And so he started work on The Day of Atonement, a short story about a young Jew named Jackie Rabinowitz based on Jolson's real life published in 1922 in Everybody's Magazine. George Jessel would play the lead. By the time that it had gotten to Jessel, it did have blackface in it. Originally, it did not. Then by the time it got to Jessel, it did. He had issues with Warner Brothers, and him and, and Al Jolson were friends, and it ended up starting this, like, this rift between them Eventually, they, they reconciled, but because essentially it was based on, quote unquote, Al Jolson's life. The original jazz singer? That's what the start of this was. All right. So um, so ja so Al Jolson was legitimately a cantor? Uh, his father. Okay. Because like the, the movie is his son is a cantor, right, as right. well. And he's like leaving the cantor life to be a jazz singer. Though I, I, I see that it, there's somewhat uh, sort of a uh, connection. Thank Warner Brothers for bringing this new technology out to everyone because no one wanted to like uh, take in Vitaphone. Well, Al Jolson gave me this God movement. Maybe he will also provide it for everyone else in the country. Born Asa Jolson and was the first openly Jewish entertainer in American history. 
And his father left Lithuania for America and became a rabbi and then cancer. That's so interesting, that like, like openly Jewish entertainer. And like Neil Diamond didn't didn't change his name. But his um Al Jolson's brother did. His brother was born Hirsch. Did his brother change his name to Diamond? No. Al Jolson's brother was named Hirsch, but then changed his name to Harry. It was his brother's friend as an acquaintance in vaudeville that actually convinced Al Jolson to do blackface, who was hesitant to do it at first. That sounds like something Neil would say. Yeah. But then he went on. His trademark was whistling that sounded like a bird, a frantic bird call, and was very dramatic with facial expressions as he billed himself the blackface with the grand opera voice. A lot of Hollywood really enjoyed an operatic voice. We'll definitely uh, take a look at that when we're looking at Singing in the Rain, kind of why a lot of the audio dubs occurred. Audio dubs have to happen to cause synchronous sound on film, so it really makes the most sense to get the best voice, right? I'm sure that's what a lot of execs thought. During that time, Cab Calloway, Louis Armstrong, uh, Jelly Roll Norton, and those are the black performers that are male. And that's not my full list. We're performing at the same time, right? John Barrymore was in Don Juan, right? He's one of the greatest actors. Legitimate actor, absolutely. Yeah, it's a Barrymore. It's Hollywood royalty. Warner Brothers didn't choose Al Jolson because he was the greatest in the world. It was probably easy. Yeah, and a lot of people say, well, it's for the time, it's for the time. And it's like, I don't I don't know if I necessarily buy that argument because, like, I don't know. Did Al Jolson ever win an Academy Award? IMDb has 27 matches for the movie Jazz Singer, and a lot of them is, are either a remake or a documentary about one of the jazz singers. Since we're sort of going to dive into uh, 1927, I thought it would be really cool to sort of think about some of the things that were happening at the same time so the, the the academy awards came out in 1927 and we will definitely take a look at that because i think lynn manuel miranda should definitely have gotten a a oscar for his film and we'll definitely talk about that more as well um also the first transatlantic telephone call happened from new york city to london Cheerio. Uh, the United States uh, began to regulate the use of radio frequencies, <laughs> leading to the creation of the FCC. Babe Ruth had a winning season uh, in New York. <laughs> and uh, Kern and Hammerstein released the musical Showboat based on Edna Ferber's novel. Tell me he's crazy, tell me slow, tell me he's lazy, maybe I'll know. 1927 was an amazing time, and things were definitely starting to boom uh, in America in one way or another. Waka. The movie was released, premiering October 6th, 1927, that conflicted with timing due to it being... Tied to the theme of the Jewish holiday taking place on the eve. Yeah, yeah you were telling me about of that. Of Yom Kippur or Kol Nidra. Right. They wanted to release it earlier than that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The three Warner Brothers were not able to attend the premiere on October 6th, 1927, because their brother Sam 
one of the strongest advocates for Vitaphone, had just previously passed away and they needed to return back to California for his funeral. Yeah, and let's actually uh, uh, um, take a detour from this very sad and solemn moment to talk a little bit about the Vitaphone. The Vitaphone sound system was actually like a really amazing uh, invention in sound, right? And the idea was is this company goes and tries to talk to Hollywood and it's like, hey, Hollywood, you know, wouldn't you like to add sound to your films? And Hollywood's like, well, no. All of our dialogue is on nice picture cards that we can change out when the films go internationally. It makes it incredibly easy for us to distribute films and change the languages. Why would we want to add extra work? And the answer was to make it feel more real. Vitaphone sound system was used in feature films in nearly a thousand different short films produced by the Warner Brothers and its studio sister, First National, from 1926 to 1931. Vitaphone was the last major analog sound on disc system and was the only one which was widely used and commercially successful. The name Vitaphone, derived from the Latin and Greek word, uh, respectively, living sound, in the early 20s, uh, was created by Western Electric. The sound on disc system is what the Vitaphone sort of ended up being. They created the first practical condenser microphone. Uh, they did this in 1916. And they were able to greatly improve this microphone by 1922. That's why you have the radio sort of uh, boom that's happening right now and why sound on film is occurring. Fox also got its grand start in sound as well with the Tri-Ergon process. So their newsreels got a huge boost. Fox and Warner Brothers working together in a lot of respects to add sound to theaters all across America and starting to build their prominence and why they're so huge to this day. I would say they're probably about equal in terms of their influence. Yeah, I would have to agree. Although The Jazz Singer, 1927, is often cited as one of the turning points in cinema, William H. Hayes, president of the Motion Picture Producers and Distributors of America, claimed in his memoirs that the early release of Don Juan in 1926 caused for a far greater stir in Hollywood upon its release. Don Juan was the first feature-length film to have synchronized sound effects and musical sound effects, but not audible dialogue. And it's actually when Al Jolson created the first improv movement on film, right? He went off script and spoke. You ain't heard nothing yet. And then that that made Warner Brothers like millions. I realize that in film school, we probably should have talked, uh, spent a lot more time talking about Don Juan and uh, John Barrymore uh, instead of the jazz singer. By the way, did you know before the advent of sound, women actually used to edit more films than men in the silent era? Ooh, that's really cool. For some reason... The patriarchy felt that it was a menial task to edit a film. Like, I really want to actually go back and look at some of those old films because I guarantee that some woman created this bomb film through her editing montage and, like, no one really paid attention to it because they had no idea what montage was at that time, <laughs> even though it most definitely existed. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, uh, Blackface shows up in a lot of different spots. The group of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia uh, spend a really interesting time discussing the ideas of blackface and the, the false assumption that there is something like tasteful blackface. The different shows that actually have had blackface in the past. So like 30 Rock has had blackface. Um, Scrubs has had blackface. Um, the Office had blackface. 
there's no way that it really can be useful except for there was this one time um there's this tv show called black and black white created by uh, ice cube and basically what he did is he took like two families he took one family that was black and put them all in white face and took another family that was white and put them all in black face and then like threw them in different societal things and it was like a reality show where people thought it was just a regular reality show but the truth is is the reality show was these people were in blackface and experiencing life in a different way. Doesn't that sound amazing? Yeah, you cannot find it anywhere. I remember this, but I can't remember like... Yeah, it was on FX, right? And this was in uh, 2006, uh, probably the same time It's Always Sunny was on, to be honest. I I vaguely remember this. I, I do like some of the swap day in life of... My problem with blackface is it doesn't seem like there's any effort into like really understanding or empathizing with the skin of the person you're in when you're a Mm -hmm. legitimate fucking actor, right? Your idea is to present your character with empathy. And I don't think at any point in time that any blackface character has ever been presented that way. Cause it's all about, let's see how funny I can make this person of this race. What does it truly mean to sort of, do blackface, why do people think it's funny? It shouldn't be considered funny. Is there a way to use it in a, in a, in a good style? It's a very slim and difficult path to tread on. I know If you are exploring an identity and you're like, what does this mean? When I was a little kid, you know, five years old, you know, I would wonder, like, what is like to be black? I would look at because I knew that I would have a different experience than I would being the skin tone that I am as white. I mean, and I, I feel like that's fair, right? Like that's the argument that a lot of people have is like if you're role playing, if you're role playing out of a space of love and empathy and curiosity, mm-hmm. that's different than minstrel show. You know, I'd be in the backyard Oh, I would take coal and I would rub coal on my hands. You're ridiculous. And I would like, <laughs> okay, so this, like, I, and I knew, like, in my head, like, I knew that, like, this was not typically a, like, it didn't look like an African-American. It, like, I knew in my head it didn't. But in my, but looking at it, I was like, this is the closest I would ever come. The Always Sunny crowd says that, like, when you use cold as blackface, it's the most racist. And, like, you know. But I, you're a kid. I'm just teasing I, you. Right. That's why I prefaced it with, I was five years old. No, I know. You're yeah, just playing you, with putting you, things. Like, kids put right. things on their face, mouth, bodies all the right. time like, just because also, they have ideas in their right. head. If you want to go through some of the newer shows that have used blackface, there's an article on Vulture by Rebecca Alter, and it's called Every Blackface Episode and Scene That's Been Pulled from Streaming So Far. So there's been a ton of episodes, and I mentioned uh, some of the shows, 30 Rock, The Office, Scrubs, they're on the list. A newer article about the jazz singer, Far Out Magazine in the UK, Mick McStarkey. Fred Astaire uh, was in blackface famously for uh, Swing Time with Ginger Rogers. And this is a 1936 American RKO film. RKO, definitely huge in advent and growth of sound as well. He actually sang uh, Bo Jangles of Harlem, a song about Bill Robinson, a very famous singer, dancer, performer. In this tribute to Bo Jangles of Harlem, 
Fred Astaire doesn't really use Bill Robinson's signature routine uh, of dancing up and down stairs with taps that are rhythmically complex uh, sequences of steps. Uh, really makes me think, was it really that much of a, of a tribute? And, you know, Bill Robinson had actually been in an RKO film before, um, the 1930 musical Dixiana. I just feel like it would have been a much cooler thing if Fred Astaire would have tried to get Bill to dance with him on stage. I don't know. It probably wasn't going to happen because, like, you know, racism. That would have made the movie amazing. I think so. I think it also would have been really cool. Like, even if even if they were going to still be racist, right, and put him behind the screen, so instead of the Fred Astaire shadow, it was actually uh, Bill Robinson's sh- as a shadow dancing with Fred Astaire. At least that would have been, like, you know, uh, racist and artistic, I guess. And then it would have been an actual homage instead of just horribly racist. <laughs> yeah, it's like, that's, that's sort of the fun thing about, like, uh, bigotry and all of that. Like, you, have, you get to have the lowest bar ever and everybody just accepts it right it doesn't it doesn't have to be clever or funny or awesome it it can suck because haha we get to laugh at somebody instead of like cool and awesome in spite of that swing time there are some really amazing songs that come out of it and the the dancing pick yourself up just pick yourself up uh there's the way you look tonight the way you look tonight. Oh, a fine romance. One of the songs that Ginger Rogers started to sing. It was a fine mm-hmm. romance. Yeah. It was a fine affair. Even the title of that song sounds a little bit like, feels like cabaret. It would be an interesting thing, and I think we should probably delve more into that at a later date. Like, blackface is just a way to act a fool. It's like... People treat blackface like it's Halloween. There are some people that do Halloween and they're like all about, oh, I'm going to immerse myself in like how to be a true looking authentic vampire style that I'm looking for to go with the culture. And even if you're doing Buffy the Vampire Slayer, you're probably going to figure out, you know, how to make it the most Sunnydale looking version of a vampire that you can come up with. Well, you know, Al Jolson, I think, does a better job acting than Neil Diamond does. I will say that (laughs) out of those two films, if you were to, you know, compare them side by side, Al Jolson, as racist as he ever was, and he's dead now. He was a decent actor. He was the only actor, I would say, worth anything in the original 1927 jazz scene. I, I, I agree with that. Like, and even his sort of uh, uh, prescience to realize that he should take the moment where he wasn't singing to ad-lib something that would be known throughout history. After this message, we'll be right back. And so, like, Hollywood would like you to think that you only saw maids, butlers, and porters. But, like, you know, they were black-owned studios, and they were definitely black filmmakers, and there were definitely stories that were not pushed with major financial backing. The first film recording of African Americans together um, on film creating awesome work is called Negro Kiss, 1898, and this is a silent film. Um, it is the first romance film starring black actors, and it starred vaudeville actress Gertie Brown and theater composer Saint Suttle. Uh, both were members of the dance group Ragtime Four. 
you also have to uh, think about Josephine Baker, who was in a 1927 silent film called Siren of the Tropics. And then there were plenty of awesome black entertainers working in the time that Al Joseph was making the jazz singer. You have Cab Calloway, Louis Armstrong, Bethy Smith was on contract with Columbia in 1927. You have Duke Ellington at the Cotton Club. You got Jelly Roll Morton in his 30s working to do recordings in Chicago with Kid Ori. Like, there was a lot of talented people um, to put into wax and immortalize. Blackface definitely wasn't necessary. It's really about power. Well, right, and even we watched the one... Owl Jolson. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. The Warner Brothers made a um, a cartoon short story that's based on the jazz singer with the main character, a little owl called Owl Jolson. If you didn't know any of the history, it probably wouldn't seem offensive. But when you like think about it all together, it's like, come on, Warner Brothers. Like, did you learn anything? My introduction to the jazz singer was The Simpsons. In the episode... Like Father Like Clown, 1991, where we learn that Krusty C- the Clown is really born Herschel Krzysztofski. And his father, Rabbi Hyman Krzysztofski, Jackie Mason, who did die, um, rest in peace, who won an Emmy for his role as Rabbi Hyman Krzysztofski, is basically the cantor, the father who's a cantor in The Jazz Singer. The story is taken directly from the jazz singer in the 1980 movie. They have is a book where it's by Saul Bellows, the Jewish novelist. In Like Father, Like Clown, that is the reason why Bart tells Rabbi Hyman to go to Izzy's Deli to meet Saul Bellows. There's certain scenes, and there's even a word said, you know, if you were a jazz singer, that'd be one thing. It, it, it kind of suggests that he could forgive blackface over him being a clown, which I also find problematic, but that's a different story. Krusty the Clown is considered to be partially based on Jewish comedian Jerry Lewis. Yeah, yeah. Who also did a 1959 version of the, version jazz. Of the jazz singer. It's all connected. And the direct quote is by Rabbi Hyman Krzysztofsky. Oh, if you were a musician or a jazz singer, this I could forgive. Um, Sammy Davis Jr. was the reason that he forgave his son. Because Sammy Davis Jr. is Jewish. Yes. But I thought, I thought the thing was he didn't like him being a clown. Right. He didn't like him being a clown. But then once Bart Simpson said, Rabbi, did not a great man say, and I quote, the Jews are a swinging bunch of people. I mean, I've heard of persecution, but what they went through is ridiculous. But the great thing is, after thousands of years of waiting and holding on and fighting, they finally made it. End quote. Rabbi Hyman Krzysztofsky says, Oh, I never heard the plight of my people phrased so eloquently. Who said that? Rabbi Hillel? Bart. No. Rabbi Hyman Krzysztofsky. It was Judas the Pious. Bart, no. Rabbi Hyman Krzysztofsky, Maimonides? Bart, no. Rabbi Hyman Krzysztofsky says, Oh, I got it. The Dead Sea Scrolls. Bart, I'm afraid not, Rabbi. It's from Yes, I Can by Sammy Davis Jr., an entertainer like your son. Rabbi Hyman Krzysztofsky, The Candyman? 
if a performer could think that way, maybe I'm completely upside down on the whole problem. Ugh, all the years of joy that I lost. Why? Because of my stubborn ways. <laughs> I think that was webby-worthy. <laughs> webby-worthy, webby-worthy. So we have some references that I wrote down from the Al Jolson movie. Kol Nidre. For those of you that don't know, with Yom Kippur, it's the, the fasting for the Day of Atonement. All of your sins are forgiven, and you start the Niri fresh. Shiksa, used by a religious Jew to put down a woman who is either not Jewish or not Jewish enough. And some of them are crossover. Like, they say them in both. Bethel, a synagogue usually now thought of as a reform or conservative, but means house of God when translated. This one is also offensive. Uh, I mean, it's a show about minstrel shows. So. Yeah, Mammy. <laughs> Formerly in the southern U.S., a black nursemaid or nanny in charge of white children. Unfortunately, there is still Mammy products out there today. Eli Eli, the song translated to My God, My God. These things never end. The sand and the sea, the rustle and the water, the lightning in the sky, the prayer of man. That was sung in the jazz singer is it one of the cantor songs it's one of the songs yeah prayer shawl called talit with a blessing that is said before you put it on to read torah the commandment is to wrap ourselves in zitzit john davidson rockefeller senior was an american businessman magnate and philanthropist he made his money when he founded Standard Oil Company in 1870, ran it until 1897, and he became the richest person in the world, controlling 90% of all oil in the United States at his peak. Henry Ford, credited as one of the innovators of the car with Edison, founder of Ford Motor Company, based in Detroit. Henry Ford legacy is strong in Michigan. Huge racist. I threw that in. Shamas is servants in Hebrew. Also, it's the assistant to Cantor in a synagogue. Shlemiel, a stupid, awkward, or unlucky person. Tomcat, promiscuous or prone to fighting male cats, but also used in, as slang to just say promiscuous. Right, yeah, that's for generally uh, uh, a male yeah. That is uh, sort of like out partying at night and like, you know, like, uh, yeah, like Tom and Jerry yeah. was. A <laughs> and that is this is going to lead directly into talking about the 1980 version because a female cat in this position is called Molly. Oh, the name of the that's so interesting. Molly is the name of the character that is in the, new the Neil Diamond's version of yeah. Jazz Singer. Yes. Uh, Neil Diamond's jazz singer is actually really an interesting, like, sort of, I think, experiment. It came out in December of 1980. Right? We watched the interview um, where they were at cons, and they were talking about how, how like, you know, acting was so natural for Neil and uh, Lucy Arnaz. Yeah, by the way, Lucy Arnaz is, um, and Neil Diamond, Lucy Arnaz is Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz's daughter, and she is in this uh, uh, film that has blackface at the beginning, right? Like, so it's like the 
doing a reverse Al Jolson, you yeah. put it in the beginning and you kind of slightly justify it. But no, no, it's not believable. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Robert Ebert said this about Neil Diamond's Jazz Singer. He said that the movie has so many things wrong with it, a review threatens to become a list. Mm -hmm. So, like, to give you an idea of, like, what he was going up against, in that same month, in the same month the Jazz Singer came out, Dolly Parton, Jane Fonda, and Lily Tomlin came out with 9 to 5. Not only that, Robin Williams and Shelley Duvall came out with Popeye. Oh, right. So yeah. these, two, these three films came out together, right? And then Richard Pryor, Richard Pryor and Gene Wilder, another another blackface fun time, uh, <laughs> but they actually do a much better job with it. Um, but but not in this film. This film is stir crazy. Right. I was going to say that didn't... Yeah, that was, that was yeah. a silver streak. Yeah, that, silver was, that street, was a silver streak this, much yeah, earlier. Yeah, yeah. Not, yeah, but not stir crazy. Neil made it seem like he made the greatest film and like he said something about, well, you know, my film doesn't have explosions or like great action or anything like that. It's just a true movie. And I'm like, dude, you're not even better than fucking nine to five. I mean, and that's a great film. You're not even better than Popeye, dude. You're not better than Robin Williams Popeye. And that was a fucking musical, too. Yeah. Come on. And nine to five got its own musical. Come on. A legit one. But like, like, and and let's 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 deep dive, right? Let's deep dive completely on 1980. So like, there was a lot of awesome films that came out that same year that Neil Diamond came out with uh, a jazz a jazz singer. When Neil Diamond came out with the jazz singer, and it's really interesting because I feel like he's treating it like he made this incredible piece of cinema. But if you look at what actually came out in 1980, you'll realize that The Shining, Mad Max, Empire Strikes Back, The Fog, Caddyshack, The Blues Brothers, hell, even Cheech and Chong was better than the movie he tried to put out on us. The Coal Miner's Daughter, Raging Bull, Private Benjamin, Urban Cowboy, The Blue Lagoon, Fame and Xanadu. I'm gonna live forever. I'm gonna learn how to fly high. Like, and I get like people love Neil Diamond's music, and that got a musical too. He he he's like to me like I used to be a much bigger fan of Neil Diamond until I started doing this research, and then I'm like like listening to him on interviews talking about things, and like it's like he doesn't even really address the fact that he wore blackface. I feel like he felt like it was okay because he was trying to. In the interview in Arsenio Hall, he remember he said he named a bunch. He's like, who influenced you? And he names. All of these black entertainers, except which he, which he never does in any of the inter- interviews, right? Yeah. We, we watched a bunch yeah, together, totally. and this like only in Arsenio is he going to talk about black musicians that he cares about, except for Elvis. And I always said uh, Neil Diamond is like the Jewish Elvis, right? Right. He you thinks know? he is too. He gets the respect that Elvis gets, in my opinion. I mean, he definitely does get that respect, you know. And I, that's not a very high respect. It's like you can sing, you can carry kind of a tune, and you're brilliant in terms of making money. He is brilliant at making money. Because, like, he's getting he's getting half a million dollars a year off of Sweet Caroline residuals. Yeah, and that is, I have to say, 
I didn't really care for Neil Diamond. He wasn't anyone who I'm like, I can't think of a song by Neil Diamond that I have, have, have wanted to learn. I can't think of a song in all of my lifetime that I've been like, you know, that's a really amazing song. I want to learn the entire song and I want to sing it through and through and memorize you don't like it. like Daydream Believer? <laughs> Cheer up, sleepy Jean. Oh, what can it be? I mean, I like the a... monkeys version. Well, yeah. I like the monkeys. He wrote it, though. Right, I get that. But in terms of Neil Diamond as a singer performing his own work, I can't think of any song, song that I, I wanted to sing. And then I worked Weber's, brilliant, like five-star hotel slash restaurant, and, and they had a lot of weddings. Without fail, without fail, every single wedding I would hear yeah. "Sweet Caroline," uh, overdone, a, overdone piece friend, of junk. One of my friends who uh, uh, has a karaoke business, he he would call that a part of karaoke hell, and uh, um, actually his employees would agree as well. Right? His music is easy enough to sing, right? So like that makes it you know approachable, right? It's and approachable, fact, yeah. Yeah, and I think I think that's why people gravitate toward it. There's nothing wrong with liking Neil Diamond. I want to make the bundle clear. It's nothing wrong with liking Neil Diamond. Okay, I never got him i never got into him and then learning about this it makes me not only not like him but it's just like why what about like song song blue everybody knows one <laughs> everybody knows one kevin turn on your hot light he made that for entertainment tonight you know may neil diamond live a long prosperous life and i wish him well the worst part of neil diamond's jazz singer is sort of the lack of acknowledgement around the blackface in my opinion right so like he um is trying to help his group who he makes songs for uh win a contest and like one of the uh entertainers can't be there and this is the beginning of Excuses, oh, he has to put on blackface in order to perform in this crowd so we can win a contest. And so he does this. And like, I'm like watching this and I'm like thinking to myself, no one in that audience believes you're black. No one does. Like, well, Ernie Hudson knew. Well, that's because in the script he was supposed to. I'm talking about like the idea of suspension of disbelief. (laughs) Right? Like, like if that, if that scene was in real life, people would be like, What's going on? Well, right I now? mean, it, it was a, around the same time that you know Barbara Streisand was supposed to be a boy. That was easier to believe. Yeah, I think she pulled off being shy and unassuming and unsure of herself, and not necessarily feminine, mm-hmm. more than uh, Neil Diamond pulled off or tried to pull off being black. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Like, even if he tried to do it, it just looked like he was just like, oh, I'm supposed to do this thing? All right, I'll just put on makeup and I'm in blackface now. Yeah. Um, well, he, weird. from what I understand, too, he wanted to do that as a tribute to Al Jolson. He didn't have to do it, even. I mean, he, he should do a tribute to Robert E. Lee. Oh, wait. Oh, wait. Yeah. And there's a, <laughs> enter a, a racist song. <laughs> I mean, I get it. It's about a boat, Wink. I just listened to the whole soundtrack and I'm going, this is mediocre to racist music. In 1980, Neil Diamond had a Good Morning America interview. Where he talked about how his father really loved the fact that Laurence Olivier played him. And Laurence Olivier also famously did blackface. Yes, Sir Laurence Olivier was in Othello. 
as Othello. Uh, it's always sunny in Philadelphia states how that's a tasteful blackface. No such thing. James Earl Jones would have done a great job playing Othello instead of Laurence Olivier, in my opinion. I believe, honestly, that putting out the best piece of work that's going to catch the most attention 20, 50, 100 years from now, wouldn't it be great if it, instead of um, talking about the blackface and swing time, we were just talking about the misogyny of swing time, which we didn't talk about. There was a lot of misogyny in swing time. Look at him. He's a fine, upstanding white man. Why would he steal money from you? Yeah, and it's really kind of funny because I watched a different Fred Astaire, Ginger Rogers film, and literally the same tropes showed up. And that one didn't have any sort of precursor discussing like, well, no, we shouldn't pretend like we're past the point of calling women hysterical. Yeah, um, it's really kind of funny because like uh, in a podcast later on, Neil Diamond, and I had you listen to that as well, and uh, um, uh, this podcast was done by Joe Jackson. So in this 2002 interview, he talks about how, like, grueling acting was and, like, how difficult it was and, like, all that. And, like, in every prior interview, he talks about how easy acting was and how simple and, like, uh, integrated his... I think there was a solid change of, like, how blackface was looked on and how he responds to his film, The Jazz Singer. Uh, this film was made by the Associate Film Distribution, by AFD. Uh, initially started in the fall of 1977, where Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer put the remake in development, the remake of The Jazz Singer. And the principal photography was uh, planned to begin in the fall of 1978. Um, this was directed by uh, Richard Fleischman and Sidney J. Fury, and written by uh, Samson... And Herbert Baker wrote the screenplay. Uh, important black actors in that. We, we, we didn't talk about John Witherspoon, but John Witherspoon was definitely in that film. And we know John Witherspoon from Friday, The Boondocks, and a lot of other things. But, you know, also the gentleman who played Winston Zedmore. Yeah, and that's Ernie Hudson. There you go, Ernie Hudson. Who is also in Grace and Frankie as well. And uh, uh, Franklin Ajay, um, also another American stand-up comedian actor. Franklin J. and um, uh, Witherspoon, John Witherspoon, and Ernie Hudson probably, you know, probably pointed out how weird the script was, I hope. I hope. Or maybe they were just like, thank goodness Hollywood is paying us. Right. It could have been like, thank you for my money. AFT got it from MGM with uh, uh, Fury directing. However, in the early 1979, Diamond underwent back surgery, invoked a clause in his contract that allowed him to finish the original music before filming began. The studio uh, did consider replacing Diamond with Barry Manilow, though ultimately decided against it. I wonder, I wonder if Barry Manilow would have done the jazz singer. I wonder if he would have just turned him down. Yeah, kind of maybe like George Jessel and Al Jolson. Like. The film did make a substantial profit, doubling $13 million budget by making $27 million. Um, and that does not include the soundtrack. That soundtrack for that film did ridiculously well. Just think of so many other artists that would have been awesome if you hadn't shoved down Neil Diamond down America's throat. Wow, that's, that's an interesting thought. That's an interesting that's thought. G- giving chances to others to see if we can come up with better things. So Neil Diamond did win some awards for uh, his movie, though. He got an American Society of Composers award. He also got a Golden Raspberry. 
for the uh, worst actor. Yeah. And uh, I believe uh, Laurence Olivier was nominated for one. I'm not sure if he actually won his. Well, and also that's the first year that the Razzies were a thing. He won the first Razzie. That's so sad because like Al Jolson never had a chance to win the first Oscar. Yeah, because it was a sound film, and the sound films at that point were not being considered. Well, um, I do want to point out that Neil Diamond does have Parkinson's, and I want to say that that sucks, prevents him from having an awesome life and like creating more songs. Well, like I said earlier, like I wish Neil Diamond a long life. Like, and I hope like we, we come up with better solutions around Parkinson's, Parkinson's too. Yeah, yeah if, if not for him, definitely definitely for michael j fox and all the other people out there that are not famous right that, right, right. <laughs> that um, also have parkinson's no, that course, also have parkinson's only famous people get to get survive <laughs> only famous no that's not true that's not true when we like do research to help people more people sort of can benefit from that society is really trying to figure out how we can all fit together because we have to like sort of live past this sort of original sin of slavery manipulating people by lying to them and hiding the truth from them doesn't really help them grow. This really cool quote that I came about uh, came across where it said, like, uh, things aren't always that clear. We have a lot in common, and too much of it is fear, right? But I feel like blackface is a disingenuous way of doing that that's just based off of ridicule and, like, insensitivity. Yeah, I mean, because it started, you know, looking at this like disabled black slave. There was this incident in Colorado actually recently. Yeah. You had those high school students mocked George Floyd's murder right. and like had a kid who put soot on his face from a tailpipe. Yeah. Uh, like I mean like he's going to have cancer later. No 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 ill will towards him, but I mean like th like doing something stupid in the pursuit of racism is like I think just doubly stupid. I mean, let's let's all be shepherds in the new millennia, but trying to lead with empathy. That's that's my that's my uh, that's my words to all of you. Thank you again for spending another time with us talking about uh, musicals and their sort of historical placement. Yeah, and we will be back talking about Forty Second Street. If you want to talk about driven, purposeful, good work. That is what the musical 42nd Street stands for. The great Busby Berkeley. I actually feel really sad because I feel like if Busby Berkeley had like today's technology, we would be like, holy God, that man's brilliant. <laughs> um, we're going to get to that soon. But until then, um, thank you guys again for listening to us. Thank you. And see you back next time. Bye-bye. Hello America Are you ready to go down the rabbit hole with us? We welcome learners and musical lovers across existence Free Free your mind and you'll see We've come so far We'll go on, just believe
on classic films and on the stage. On the stage. We're talking about musicals. We're talking about build a story, our social play. History. We're talking about history. Every time we dig right in, dig right in. we educate through musicals. We educate. Clever things to make you grin. We'll make you grin. Our podcast all about musicals. Subscribe right now. Slow with us, avoid the spin. And you will see our story guide with musicals. Examine paint. And minstrel skin. It's really weird. Outdated themes and musicals. Join Chris and Kevin as we go. Down rabbit holes with musicals. Podcast. Down rabbit holes with musicals. Podcast. Down rabbit holes with musicals. Podcast. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.